Hey everyone, welcome back to Required Reading. This week we are talking Edgar Allan Poe. For a while now, Mike and I have been trying to figure out how to incorporate poems, and I don't know if this is the right way to do it, but darn it, we're here and we tried. In the meantime, please keep rating and reviewing us. Keep, you know, giving us comments about our new theme song, which is, you know, actually something we can use that isn't public domain. In the meantime, uh, consider sharing, consider reviewing, and consider doing all those things which make more people aware of our podcast. Thanks. Yeah. L'chaim. Uh, welcome to Required Reading. Uh, this week, uh, as it's almost getting colder... Yes. Uh, yeah, we're, we're talking Edgar Allan Poe. Thank goodness, yes. Yeah, and uh, we're, we were thinking how to approach poetry. Uh, last year we almost did a poetry episode. didn't really come around. Uh, so this time we're picking one specific poet, um, and we'll kind of talk about is he a poet or a writer, or how do you, fit, how do you classify him. Uh, but we chose kind of the great American gothic writer, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. That time of year, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Nick Hoffman, on the panel as always is... And I'm Mike Burns. And uh, we picked two things to talk about today, kind of limiting ourselves from the incredibly vast archive of Mr. Poe. Uh, we did The Raven, the, the poem, and the story, The Fall of the House of Usher. And we're, we're stepping out of our um, brand, if you will, in that these are things we both teach, or I teach and have taught, so it's not necessarily something we're revisiting. Right. But we thought because of October, Halloween-ish, and Poe, and as you said, trying to get a little poetry in, why not? Can't go wrong with old Edgar. Well, and I'm, 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 I'm not a historian of literature being taught. Uh, I'm just curious how he's taught in the past. It seems like he's someone who's either always too popular or out of fashion to be taught very often. So I'm glad we teach uh, at least Fall of the House of Usher. We talked about the Raven around Halloween. Uh, but I find him fascinating. Yeah, he's one of those – and I don't know what your experience as a student was. I think this is probably the way I was. When you first read him, if you like him, you want to go deep. You want to read everything. You want to read all the short stories and just sort of – if you click in with his mindset or his world building, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, if he's your jam, you – and it's still fun to see students that get really turned on by that and then they, they go all in on Poe. So. Yeah. Um, and such an interesting guy, too, about his life and his bio. There's got to be a, a well, great, and, great film to be made about him, right? Isn't and, it? and there's nothing ever wrong with a mysterious death. Right. right? Like, I mean, nothing like a creepy guy who gets like a true crime-esque death at the end, right? I mean, it would be easier to explain his death if he was abducted by aliens. Yeah, He's yeah. kind of found dead in a ditch. Uh, he's put in a hospital and is battling like a maniac for days. And then dies almost a week later. Well, they, yeah, they kick him out because yeah. whatever, because he couldn't pay the bill, and right. then literally found in the streets the next day or next morning or something. Um, but, and I've heard and something everything. about somebody else's clothes at one point. So and like bar tabs for things he doesn't remember. Like again, yeah. it, it feels like a great mystery, uh, somewhere between delirium tremens and just some hallucinogenic nightmare. Like right. it's great, which is really you you get it in his poetry, you get it in his stories. Um, what's the thing that you? What's the first thing you read or know from Poe? I mean, probably The Raven, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, because it's just one of those. It's such a rhythmic, rhythmic poem. Um, yeah. And such a vivid image that it's something you can read to your daughter or 
you know, appreciate just, you know, scanning it for meter uh, as a high school student, um, and, everything and, in between. And you get it. You, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and again, it's not to say that Emily Dickinson, you don't feel emotion. You do. But Poe's telling a story. You can give it to a middle school kid. They figure it out. They pick it up. And as an adult rereading it, I get something different from it, which yeah. is cool. And I don't think you can – and there's a black cat at my yes. feet as we speak. So appropriate, yes. <laughs> Hello, Beaker. <laughs> um, but there's something so – I mean, I think talking about poetry in particular, yeah. um, often a lot of modern poetry tends to be more free verse, mm. whereas Poe is very rhythmic um, and just – Everyone loves a good beat. That's just something innate in us. And once upon a midnight dreary while I pondered weak and we it's just boom, 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 boom. Um, that yeah. has its own appeal to whatever age. Yeah. It does. And it's, and it's written in such a specific way. And there's certain words that you just hear, like the word endure. It shows up so often in his pieces. And like names, like Lenore from The Raven, he also has a poem named to Lenore. And like, because there's something about it must have been just in his head, things that he thinks of as appropriate names for the world he lives in, which is just so neat. You almost start, I can almost tell you his accent based on the rhyming words he puts at the end of his verses. Oh, really? Right? I never thought of that. But like, for him to rhyme certain words together, he must say them a certain way. Right. And his description, and you know, I was born in 85, I'm a huge Simpsons guy, I hear James Earl Jones when he says it, of course. but almost every emphasis that James Earl Jones puts, if you gave it to any other actor with such a dripping voice, like an Anthony Hopkins or something, it would have different emphasis, because none of that's in the poem. You just know it's creepy, so you put the creepiness there, and yeah. I, I love it. Um, I think, that, of course, for me, The Raven too. I probably saw that... that First Treehouse of Horror a thousand times. Um, then the first thing I read outside of that was probably The Pit and the Pendulum. Okay. Uh, which is also very creepy. And I remember seeing that. Uh, it's a Vincent Price film, right? Yes. Yeah, some absolutely. Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon horror thing on TV. Um, yeah, it's hard not to think of Vincent Price and Poe. Yeah, 100%. Together. With that, right down to the grizzly hair. Right. Like you just picture the same kind of combed back hairstyle and the the, the look, the very stern, refined look. yet yeah. macabre and yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, and then I got back into him because I was really big for a while into uh, Sherlock Holmes, and he is essentially the guy who invents the modern mystery. Absolutely. The Rue Mor- uh, Morgue, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a very weird story, but the monkey did it. <laughs> the monkey did it. But I mean, like that's Sherlock Holmes. That's that's the hand of the Baskerville. It's yeah. just like ah, oh, crazy animal. Uh, this one has a knife for some reason. Uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 fantastic. Uh, so when do you want to start, Raven or uh, House of Usher? Um, let's start with Usher. Okay, House yeah. of Usher. So this is the one that we uh, licensed for our documentary reader. It is a short story. Um, that all the post stuff, like Poe has very few published books. Uh, this was published in Burton's Gentleman's Quarterly, um, and this is one of Mike's favorites, so I'm going to talk as long as possible so he can't. <laughs> so, Mike, why do you like this story so much? It's so, um, it's great for pointing out, like, I, I always teach, before I teach this, Poe has in one of his essays, and, um, about the single effect theory, where he talks about the purpose of a short story is to evoke a single effect. 
And so kids read that and they're like, okay, whatever. And it's sort of the first dip into literary criticism, at least in our curriculum. Um, and then when we read the story, it's so tightly written and there's so much overlap. I mean, we talk about the fall of the house of Usher and you can spend, I spend a good 15 minutes just on the title, what each word means, what's fall mean, uh, what are the multiple meanings of fall, uh, what are the multiple meanings of house, um, and we talk about usher, and when you get to the story, you can split the word usher into us and her, yeah. and the duality of the twins in this, and it's so like tightly crafted there, and so as we're reading the story, and you come across, like Poe uses, a, a, the mere glimpse of this in M-E-R-E, and there's so much mirroring with the twins going on. And you point this out to the students and like, what? Wait, yeah. did he mean to do that? No. And then you, and yes, he did do this. And so you get the, you expose them to the idea that this is very carefully crafted. He's not yeah. just throwing every word is there for a reason. Every effect is for a reason. Um, so it's really great to sort of blow their minds with that. And that's really fun. And it's funny because... And, and it's what I introduced with. Like, I don't know if anyone out there thinks of Poe as high literature or not. But to me... It's I would the, hope so. I would hope so. I mean, I'm with you. But, like, to me, you can see the way his mind works, right? A former teacher at Marist, uh, Scott Sparrowhawk, and I got into a discussion about Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. And at what point he decided whether or not... It was supposed to sync up with, you know, the movie oh, yeah, or not. The Wizard of Oz, right. And, you know, he, he was just talking, like, I don't think Pink Floyd was smart enough to do that. <laughs> and yet it happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, so to this, was Poe a guy who thought this through or not? And I'm, I'm, I'm totally, like, over a glass of absinthe. He was like, no, this word is wrong. It needs to oh, be Oh, totally, a, yeah. A, you yeah. know what I mean? I like, think so. I think everything is there for an effect. And you can imagine him sort of giggling to himself with all these right. lines here. I mean, Madeline, the, the sister in this, it's a kind of a different spelling, and he split the word, made line. Right. And you talk about the house of Usher, and the Usher, the, a house is a literal house, but also the, you know, the familial house, And it's so the funny lineage. because at the beginning of the short story, he even says that, like, that the servants by this point started to think of the house of Usher as both a, a person and a place, right. because... Essentially, the family line doesn't spike. <laughs> Every time there was supposed to be a splinter faction, the line ended immediately. So yeah. it's just the house of yeah, Usher. Yeah, literally one line. Um, and essentially, it's also written funny to me just because I love new journalism. It's as though Poe himself just walked up. Because right, we have exactly, a yeah. narrator right. talking, talking literature with a guy who's effectively bedridden, catatonic. Well, he's a shotist, right? This is Grey Gardens or something. Right. And his name is Rod. So, again, the line, the single thing. I mean, it's brilliant all that way. It's so, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so to, to show that to the kids and have those discussions. And then there's so many theories, like, is it in... We don't. I don't want to give away too much, but there's a lot of ways to read the story. Yeah. Um, with the single family line, this is, is it incestuous with his sister or, um, I don't know. But you know, you can have some fun discussions that way. You can have some fun discussions too on how much a place can influence you. You know. Sure. Um, is it the house that drives them crazy, or are they already crazy, or is it concurrent? You know, that both happens. So. Well, and, I mean, it's, it's the Halloween season. Nothing quite like a haunted house story, but, like, whether you're reading something like Amityville Horror or watching Psycho or whatever, is there something about the place? Like, one, one of my favorite 
books is or movies is Poltergeist, and it's just all about the the horrors of the suburbs, right? This feels very much like the terror of old money, yeah. right? Like he is a I mean, Poe is not someone who was born rich. He's a writer, he, which means he's both alcoholic and poor, which I guess... Right. Yeah, such a tragic life, yeah. yeah born to um, actors and <laughs> tubercular death all around him his whole life, yeah. Um, and so, like, him visiting, like, his chum from school, right? And, it, and, and that's how it's described. The narrator says, we were best friends at, at like, at... At school, they don't clarify college or not. Right, and it seems vaguely European in its setting, which is you know spooky and mysterious and ancient in, in its way. And and like and the guy used to have a life, and now he doesn't, and he lives among these books. And so like there's this whole the, the plot is driven by literally the books he pulls off the shelf and is trying to make small talk about. Eventually, reading a book about Lancelot. Um, yeah, he recites that poem, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a story. There's the frame story, the story within the story. Um, there's just so much you can teach as far as English teacher stuff you can accomplish with this one tightly written, interesting story. And, and I think the kids enjoy reading it, which is definitely a theme in our, our podcast here. Something that they will read. And um, I've never had that problem. I mean, his sentences are a little long. He, you know, is verbose in ways that don't always translate to 2020, 2021. Um, but it's compelling enough, I think. The atmosphere he creates, the kids want to find out what happens and why Why does this happen. Well, and, and I mean, there's two thoughts I have. First is uh, we've talked for years uh, together, so we've talked to class now for years, about Hemingway and the importance of how, how he changed literature. He, Poe and Hemingway are complete polar opposites sure. in sentence structure. Right. right? Like, and like you said, they have these long, meandering words that are complex for no reason. It's as though Poe is trying to prove himself to that long fellow, um, but... But, I mean, that was the style of his time. You read anything else from from this time period, he's not that far different from that. No. Um, just but, as far as his syntax. But just in terms of us in the modern era, Poe would have a great podcast. Like, mm. he'd be writing Night Vale kind of stuff. Welcome to Night Vale. Absolutely, Bell. right. Just because he has such a great diction... Such a great pacing. There's no one else who writes like him. Such an imagination, too, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, and in some ways, Victorian-esque horror is coming back. Like, those conjuring movies. Like, that's that's what it is. It's the sitting in a quiet room, and then all of a sudden that shadow moves. That That's that's what he writes. Yeah. And so he's like, let's make small talk about literature. While the skeletal figure in the corner is like, I've read all of these books. Like, it's, it's so unsettling throughout. And... I mean, he's just trying to visit a college chum in the most awkward setting imaginable. So, I mean, let's think about this as a historian. Let me put you on the spot, Nick. Please. So if the Victorian sort of fixation with horror and death is coming out of contemporary issues, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have the Civil War, but then also just, you know, industrialization and, you know, high mortality rates. Is there, you think there's going to be an equivalent? Is there a young Poe in our class that because of COVID? I mean, we don't have the same death of, but you know, it's definitely shaping our psyche in ways that's going to show up, don't you think? I, I I agree, and I wonder if COVID accelerated it or decelerated it. And the re reason I say that is the stuff that comes out of the 30s and 40s of the Great Depression is actually very optimistic, because who's going to buy a book about depressing things? 
during the Great Depression. Right. We're living it. Yeah, yeah. We, we needed an escapist literature and, and storytelling or filmmaking. So, like, this is way out there, but follow me for half a second. One of the things I think about Poe is he's writing about terrifying things that exist in a way to rationalize horrifying things around him. Because, like you said, almost everyone dies of tuberculosis. To the point where TV is almost a specter of death in the background, right? To me, it reminds me kind of of that whole Slenderman phenomenon from a few years ago, where Slenderman was a photoshopped image that people created out of a competition. And so, what do you do? You make it creepy. Like, this picture was taken by Mary X, three minutes, and then she was never seen again, right? But now, so many people buy into that mythology that there's people who swear they've seen Slenderman, even though it's right. just a Photoshop thing. And again, well, yeah, the like, blurring of fact and fiction, which, my God, we're living now for sure. And what if so many people believe something that's not real that it becomes real? <laughs> well, geez, what would that be like? Right. I oh, mean, my goodness. You know, if you're talking turn of the century, they'd call it like chaos magic or some nonsense like that. But, like, that's what we're talking about because people literally killed in the name of Slenderman five years ago, there were those murders. And so, like, that's kind of what this feels like to me. Like, not that Poe is murdering people, but there's this whole creation of this dark world. So what does it look like today? It looks like those memes that float across, those podcasts that float across, because the world is still just as inexplicable. There's more things trying to explain it now, though. Yeah, and right? then also that you can choose your own narrative, so to speak, with the Internet and all that, so you can go down the rabbit hole of some ridiculous theory or whatever. Well, and, and but it feels real to you. And for educated people like you and I who don't buy into that nonsense, just talking about that nonsense is scary, right? right? Like, you could tell me that there's some death cult trying to poison the like su the subway system like Om Shinrikyo did in the 90s in Japan, and I believe you, and it's just as terrifying to me. Yeah. This grim specter and a photoshopped image could end up on MSNBC tonight. Yeah. Right? Um, so for me, like, that's why this this works. Because it starts with a completely believable shut-in character, some old money guy living in a giant mansion, pulling things off his book. But like, and then just as easily, the building. <laughs> the Simpsons joke. Uh, this week on Fox, when buildings fall down, <laughs> and they just show stadium, 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 house of usher. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, I dig it hundred percent. So that's why I love this story. I mean, yeah. as you're talking though, I mean, the pandemic wise, it might be fun to teach mask of the red death these days. hundred percent. Interesting read on that versus our contemporary times. Well, and I also, and maybe it's just style of how people talk and think at the time. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I read, uh, Camus, uh, the plague. Oh, nice. And just Camus uses so many more words. This has these complex ideas. I, I, I just, I, I feel I relate more to how Poe describes things. Oh, really? I do. But yeah, it, it's rich in that way, I guess. Uh, uh -huh. And yeah, once you click into it, and if you can get over the verbiage or get beyond our bias to something in 140 characters or less, um, it's definitely rewarding. I just need to hire some guy with like a baritone voice to read that aloud to me. Just sit there. Just yeah, this is great for an audiobook. You get a talented reader to just yeah. it rips. Yeah, James Earl Jones would be at the top <laughs> of the list for sure. So speaking yeah. of, let's talk about the Raven. Um, the Raven to me, 
The Raven and Casey at the Bat to me are the two most American poems that have ever been written. Okay. We'll talk about Casey at the Bat at a later time, um, but it's hard to not talk about baseball for a page and a half and not think this is America in a nutshell. Um, I love Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Um, it. And why do you love it? Maybe because it tells you so much without telling you anything. Okay. Um, so I can I. Like, obviously, like I mentioned before, I picture, you know, Homer Simpson sitting in the chair. Um, but for, like, if I read it myself, none of that's there. None of it's really described. It's just a dude half falling asleep and someone knocks at his door. So you can kind of think of it however you want to think of it. Um, and that, to me, is the best horror. I mean, again, we went, mentioned that Welcome to Night Vale. Um, there was a thousand people who illustrated what they thought Cecil looked like before anything, because you want to put a, your finger on what's happening. Poe doesn't let you. All we know is that at one point a raven comes in and yells at a guy. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the, is it all a dream? Is he dreaming still? It, um, you pitched the theory before we yeah. start recording. You want to explain I, I that? I think he's dead. Okay. Um, because there's a dude reading in a room, um, and someone knocks at the door of his room. Not his front door, but the door of his room, and he doesn't react. If someone, if I was in bed reading, or if in my office reading, half asleep, and someone knocks at the door and I think I'm alone, I react with more than, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that someone was actually at the door. Um, and then the raven then is literally the specter of death coming to remind him he's dead. Because all he said, reminds him is that he's dead. Nevermore, nevermore, nevermore. Never my soul will be lifted, nevermore. Like right. that's, that, that's how it ends, with him in some sort of Purgatory and understanding that he is in purgatory or limbo and he's dead. Um, but we, we already talked about Poe's uh, verbiage, but just that first stanza, which I can read very quickly. But once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many acquainted curious volumes of long forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. The rhyming is so simple. And it's not even just rhyming. It's incredibly repetitive. Rapping at my chamber door to tapping at my chamber door. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. No, as a, again, as an English teacher, there's so much you can pack. You know, internal rhyme, uh, anaphora, trochee, meter, um, uh, rhyme scheme. It, it's all here in a, in a very accessible way. And I think it comes back to that meter, just that... The, just the rhythm of it. Boom, boom, boom. Once I pondered, we can dream. And so I actually have kids write in the style of Poe because it's a formula. It's the, it's like, you know, paint by numbers um, as far as what you need to do. Um, and those that have a good ear, I think um, there's a clear connection here. If you like your musical or have a sense of rhythm, it comes pretty easy. You can, mm -hmm. you can fill in the blanks on that. Um, of course, they struggle sometimes as anybody would with like what am I gonna write about? But um once once you click into a good rhyme scheme, it just kinda writes itself almost. And and, and what's cool is it's not like A A B B it's A B C B B B B B B B B B B B because everything ends with or right but even within that there's, so there's yes. A A in the first line and then B and then the B appears in the fourth uh, line and then you know and then again and again so it's yeah it's really intricate that way and it, and it's it's so good you n almost know what the next word is going to be in a way that makes it more terrifying yeah. because what's happening is you it, it's almost like 
uh, a babysitter is home, the kid's asleep, and someone knocks at the door, right? And nothing is scarier today in the modern world than someone knocking at your door unexpectedly. <laughs> but all it keeps doing is saying, or, 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 like, and so you know what's going to happen next. And in fact, the only weird twist is when he opens the door the first time, and I say he, there's not even gender in this. When the person opens the door the first time, nothing's Nothing, there. right, yeah. <laughs> And you almost want to say, like, shouldn't there be something? No, it's scary that nothing is there. Right, that's the scary thing. So it's what you don't see, and that's what you imagine. Because often what you can imagine is worse than the reality. So, yeah, yeah he plays around with that for sure in this, um, in such fun ways. Yeah, and, I, like, and, and I almost it's almost silly to go through this step by step, because you know this poem. Everyone's listening has heard this poem, or seen a version of it, or has a version of it. But essentially, this dude is asleep. <laughs> and someone knocks at the door. He opens the door. He apologizes. Like, I, I barely thought I heard you. Nothing's there. Uh, then next, uh, there's a knock at the door. It turns out, or at the window, it turns out to be the raven. Uh, the, the raven flies in and perches on the bust of Pallas. Yeah. Um, so you can talk about Pallas Athena and wisdom and mm-hmm. the symbolism of all that and why does Poe choose all that. So again, it's a great tool to talk about conscious choice uh, from the artistic side and and why does he do this yeah yeah the pallid bust of palace is such a fun way like I, I have to slow down to make sure I enunciate right but it's you you get it immediately it's it's a marble statue so it's pale but it doesn't say marble it's pallid mm-hmm. it's pale it's like I'm sure Poe was uh, he seems like an inside boy Quote the Raven Nevermore. And, and I always talk about this is one of the things I try to get across to students in poetry and, and in art in general is the idea of repetition and variation. Mm-hmm. So you repeat something, but maybe you twist it just a little bit. And so the Nevermore at the beginning is very different by the, the time you get to the end and the Nevermore there, uh, both from sort of an accumulation of hearing it and then the tone as the guy goes mad. Or in your case, your, your interpretation, he's dead. Well, I mean, I think that's, if, 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 if I may, uh, the last stanza, and the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of past man, just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow lies there floating on the floor, shall be lifted nevermore. Oh. Dude's dead. <laughs> I mean, I tell it like, but spiritually at least, yes. I mean, and again, I read it quick, but you can just see "shall be lifted." Never. Thirty second pause. Yeah, there's a nice dash there. You can talk about punctuation and the long dash. No. Um, why? Why there? And 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 again, like above, he's literally pleading with death. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit that bust above my door. <laughs> take thy beak from out my heart and take that form from off my door both the raven nevermore yeah. like I love how impassive the raven is he, he just nevermore never <laughs> nevermore nevermore yeah <laughs> from the Simpsons which yeah stuck in my head but they nailed it I, no it's it totally was, a legit imper- interpretation it's a fun interpretation of it yeah I, I love that and, and again it makes you speculate who this dude was that he I mean, again, it sounds like a, a, a swank pad. He's got a nice, nice comfy chair, books everywhere, right? And it maybe just it's supposed to be some sort of morality tale about pride. Mm-hmm. Like he'd rather live among his book than alone among people, which would not at all jibe with the House of Usher. 
or it could be what, what's the word? Uh, I should look it up, but is it hypnogogic, where you're in that twilight state between waking and death, or waking and well? Yeah, uh, where you have those like uh, the the devil sleeps on your chest, yeah, that kind the, of the, uh, uh, paralytic sleep. Yeah, and so maybe this whole thing is a a bad dream, but it, it's a very vivid description of whatever's going on. Um, yeah. and it's fun as you started with the ambiguity of it. And and for me, you know, I mean, I've had anxiety in my past. I imagine for people who suffer from depression, this feels like a very personal kind of thing because, you know, when when the, when the raven first comes in, it's almost playful. Yeah. But then, the, then like we said at the end, he, he succumbs. Like, it feels very much like darkness takes this person over, which, again, of knowing Poe, someone who was both an alcoholic, but an alcoholic because everyone around him seemed to die. Yeah. Uh, that ultimately crawled into a bottle and never crawled out it seems very much like a man who would die from depression um and so the idea that this dark being in the corner of his room just keeps saying never more like he'll never be free feels very grim very horror movie but also very much like a mindset that this guy would find himself in yeah and as you've mentioned whether you're in the depths of depression or the depths of grief or mm-hmm. it feels like this is going to last forever I'll never get over this yeah. and Poe smartly ends it right there so we don't know what the after story if any is on this but it allows us to interpret right. which like a good poem does and um, we can all relate to that we've all been there in, in, in different ways uh, and we should mention here which something you already brought up but the idea of loss uh, because one way or another he does mention his lost Lenore, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Lenore is not only a great poetic name, like we mentioned before, uh, but he clearly had lost love and family who died, all of these horrible diseases, and nothing quite like summarizes disease in the era like tuberculosis, which is consumption, like it literally right. eats you out from the inside as you kind of withdraw, and it sucks your cheeks. You in get as pale, you... like yeah, Usher and Madeline in the previous story we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is all the more appropriate that that's where the raven is, on the bust of power, right? Yeah. Um, and so here, uh, the the first thing, because it rhymes so neatly, is Lenore, and Nevermore, and Lenore, and Nevermore. I will never say that name again, and of course the first thing the raven says is her name, as though, again, in a depressive state, you're reminded of the worst moments of your life. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's bleak, for sure. Um counterposed to the you know sort of snappy rhythm of it and so yeah it's great it is and when i was in high school there was a project to write an iambic pentameter of course yes i I, that was a whole swing and a miss for me i was so bad (laughs) at it but like poe i feel like i could do uh not in a i could never i don't think this way but the rhyme scheme, the pattern, the hits, the hits. It, it's it's so blank. Once you break the formula, you can figure it out. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that's – but it's hard to do well. Once you rig it, you're like, oh, man, how did he come up with 27 stanzas of this or whatever it is? It is. Um, and I always offer this as extra credit to someone to memorize the whole thing and or at least half of it. And every now and then a student will get it. And it's not that hard and no. because it's so rhythmic and, and – um, based in the rhyme it, it's it's very doable it is and and it's funny because even though it is written what a hundred and 
almost 200 years ago. Probably 1845. Okay. Our, in addition, our book, yeah. Uh, so 180 years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's just I don't know the parts of it that seem very modern. Like when he wakes up and he's like, "I'm so sorry, I didn't answer the door right away." Yeah. Uh, sir or or madam, madam, uh, uh, you're way ahead of his time. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just there's something about Poe's. Um, verbiage that seems eternal, which I love. Um, but yeah, it's staring into the darkness, and unfortunately, sometimes the darkness stares back, and it's this little raven. Right. Uh, it's funny, like, this is a poem that, even if we didn't mention it in class, and we'll probably show the Simpsons version of it again, I, I still just randomly pick up sometimes. It's great. Oh, do you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At one um. point, my wife was trying to memorize it, and would pull it up on her phone and see how far she could get, because my my daughter loved it like it because again it's just uh, maybe it's just that we have a cat that won't leave us alone but when she's going prophet said i thing of evil and he's like yelling at it and comes back anyway like it's it's a cat it's completely indifferent right yeah (laughs) completely uh, please i just don't want i want to be left alone it's just like and you're you're happy for a second um yeah but it's interesting i mean he's such in the other story in this one too um so psychological like in how we how we project into the absence of certainty we will project horror in the in the case of both these stories um or madness in both of these stories too yeah and the the idea that he's literally shouting into the darkness the 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 phrase the night's plutonian shore which is a great phrase but paul clearly also liked it because he uses it like four times yeah um but yeah no I, i i I don't know at what, because again, I'm not a literary critic or whatever. I don't know where the cycle Poe is, but he he needs to come up in an American. I class. think he's eternal. I think he's yeah. his, his yeah. place is locked in the American canon. I would hope so. Um, yeah. yeah, just for his impact on genre, like you mentioned, detective stories that he formed, and um, yeah. yeah, it's just it it endures for sure. Yeah, and. and and again, because in some ways I can almost hear this his his pattern in my head, and then you read the lines closer, and it's so tragic, right? Oh, Is there balm in Gilead? Uh, tell me, tell me, I implore. Growth of Raven, everyone. Like he he's asking for any sort of solace, and no one nothing. cares. Nothing. 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 Um, and I guess, I guess appropriately, like in the House of Usher, where the house again we we're not going to spoil everything here, but. It's all about Doesn't destruction. Doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah, everything's about destruction here. The Simpsons, I think, nails it. You just imagine a man going crazy in grief, destroying this beautiful room where he felt solace a moment before, right? Because the raven's not giving him solace, so maybe he can kill death. Maybe he can beat death or whatever the raven is, and you can't. No. He's stuck. Yep. Um, and that's where Poe, I guess, found himself one day when he disappeared into nothingness. Yeah, whatever happened to him. That's, whatever happened to Poe. Yeah. So takeaways on this, Nick? Uh, I love it. Yep. I I think in and again we we don't run the universe yet. No. Uh, but it would almost be great to check in with a sixth or seventh grader, check in with a ninth or tenth grader, like we usually teach tenth grade, and then check in with a senior and just see how it grows to them. Because again, murder at Rue Morgue, it's a weird story. But you could understand it. Mm-hmm. It's not a hard reading level. Some of the words are weird, but if you don't understand all the words, you could still get the story. Um, same with House of Usher, same with The Raven. But 
as I get older and as I know more people who have depression or I have anxiety, the raven feels more real to me. Oh, really? Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's still a fantastic world, but like this idea of being out of control in your own in your own house, it's really great. Uh, so I feel like we I should I should force more Poe on more people. Yeah, we didn't even talk about anthropomorphizing the bird, right? Yeah. But when you watch birds or crows or raven, they're clearly smart. They're clearly communicating on a level that you're not getting. So That's right. it makes total sense that this raven would understand more about whatever. It's so, so funny. You're right. We didn't even mention the fact that the bird freaking talks. Talks, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of important. <laughs> but it, it's just so matter-of-fact in the story. You just say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. But you're right. It could just be asleep. The idea that there's someone knocking at my bedroom door or that a bird talks, <laughs> I'm equally indifferent. Fine. You know what? Sure. Um, <laughs> and by the way, I know we're having fun with the raven, but like, if you have not read House of Usher, it'll take you maybe half an hour. It's fantastic. It is, yeah. It's really fantastic. And it rewards, to hit the theme, it rewards multiple readings. Mm-hmm. So there's still stuff I see that little subtle jokes he's putting in there about, I mean, not even jokes, but just sort of adding to the layers of his single effect theory. So so tight. And I will say, that's the secret for all teachers. Uh, sometimes we assign stuff that we want to read. And we like reading this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I will read the po like the, the the Raven, and I'll read House of Usher, you know. And maybe one day we'll change the curriculum, but at the moment, I can't see a reason to do so. And I think that I mean I'm not always the great greatest about this, so I'll admit it. But I think that's what's so important about trying to reread it again mm-hmm. and trying to approach things with fresh eyes. So even something you've been teaching for a while. And you love, but if you can step back and try to imagine what it's like for the first time encountering it, both anticipating what what they're going to struggle with, but also what the questions are going to be and what hopefully will land with them and they'll love. I mean, that's what's great about literature. It rewards coming back to over and over. And same with history. You can reward and you have new context based on your own life and your living. Yeah. yeah. Well, and none of this stuff ever ends. Like, uh, we reread Poe because... Maybe next time I read a different post story, and then that informs how I interpret House of Usher next time. Right. Right. Like it's been years since I've read uh, the Murders of the Rue Morgue or the Pit and Pendulum, and next time I read it, I might, you know, and that—that's what the fun part is in interpreting yeah. it. I mean, that's being an educated person, right? Yeah. And uh, the nice thing about students is sometimes they point out something we can think of. Amen. That's every, the best. every year. That's the best. No, because you're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Um, so. You reading anything fun? Um, I'm still chipping away at that O'Brien book I mentioned, Dad's Maybe book. Um, I've been listening to a good um, audio book about Ben Franklin. It's one of the great courses on Ben Franklin. Um, so that's good. And we're coming up to revolutionary America in our um, American history class or American experiment class. So yeah. I'm trying to and I guess, buff up um, my knowledge there. We uh, threatened... Uh, that next summer uh, we're going to do kind of a uh, a movie series um, and this year we are not doing Hamilton in class the kids wanted to do The Patriot yep democracy uh, yeah they I voted mean, it's a shame sometimes no uh, but yeah so uh, we'll probably talk about both Hamilton and The Patriot in our summer movie series but that's coming up um, since we're talking creepy stuff I guess I already uh, mentioned last time the Final Girls support group, which is kind of horror-based. Right. Um, I will add to that um, this 
God, at this point, a couple months ago, but I read a book uh, by John Kelly called The Great Mortality, which is a history of the Black Death. Oh, wow. Um, and why I'd recommend it is, other than it being incredibly well written, is that Kelly sets up the Middle Ages. Uh, so a lot of the book, I mean, you could talk about death the whole time, the symptoms, it's still around, but nowadays we can treat it with basic penicillin. That Z-pack you get whenever you have like a bacterial infection, clean it right up. Um, but like, he doesn't mince words other than a few, you know, some modern stuff about medicine. For the most part, he's just reading like the diaries of monks and like oh, wow. how sometimes there's just one dude who survives in the whole monastery and thinks he's the last man on earth. Right. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever read and uh, the most God, unsettling. Um, I will also say, since we mentioned Welcome to Night Vale, uh, you should subscribe. It's excellent. Start with episode cassettes. Um, but Joseph Fink just came out with a book this year for young readers uh, called The Halloween Moon, which I uh, read to see if I could read to my daughter. It's great. It's maybe for 10 and up, a little, little older than my daughter. Okay. Um, but it's about a girl who loves Halloween. She's in middle school, so she's almost too old. And then she gets stuck in a Halloween night, which just won't end. Oh, jeez. It's great. Uh, not not scary, but a little, for <laughs> an adult male. Uh, it's, it's a little creepy, um, but very well done, called The Halloween Moon by Joseph May. Excellent. Um, so next week, uh, we are uh, doing that episode that I kind of hinted at, um, where we have a, celebra- a celebrity, a, a, a writer on. Um, I did a former podcast, which you can still find, called Doom to Repeat. Uh, though my colleague, Dr. Alex Cummings, has continued it without me. Um, but there's an episode uh, that we did on segregation called Gotta Keep Them Separated, uh, where we interviewed... Offspring song, right? Exactly Very right. Good. Uh, where we interviewed uh, doc, uh, Professor Kevin Cruz from Harvard University about his incredible book, White Flight. Um, but uh, after that, we're coming back not going to give away all of our secrets because we're going to try to do it episode by episode. Uh, but we have some fun stuff, some Flannery O'Connor coming up, some more classics coming up. Some great uh, guests and partners. Yep. Um, we're, we're going through our department. We're taking advantage of the fact that we have some very fun and interesting people where we work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I will give a little bit of a tease to December where we're going to do some kind of fun stuff, including uh, some kids' books. And then uh, Mike and I are going to do a book exchange. So we can kind of, you know, talk about stuff that might not necessarily end up on the podcast otherwise, but we can surprise each other with some books that we're really passionate. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, So thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Please review and share. Uh, We're moving up global charts, which shocks Mike and I every day that people want to listen to this. Unbelievable. Uh, But as long as people want to, we're going to keep doing it for you guys. All right. Um, So thanks. Thank you. Required Reading is hosted by Dr. Nick Hoffman and Mike Burns. It is a product of Maris Podcasting and Dude Letter Podcasting. The theme song is written and performed by Davis Burns Music. The podcast is engineered and produced by Nick Hoffman. The opinions expressed here are the opinions of the hosts and guests and do not represent Maris School. Thanks for listening.